Well, hello to you, wherever you're listening from. My name is Phil Dye. I'm your host, and you're listening to Marking the Roll, a podcast for teachers and educators in Australia, but really um, for teachers and educators everywhere. This is episode 29, um, where we'll be talking about the Michaela School and our recent visit to that school, which has the reputation as the strictest school in the UK. Um, Yes, it may seem that way too, but it really does live up to the hype. It has fantastic results and very, very um, happy students. And for sure, I'm pretty happy now because as I record this and go on to do some editing, I'm sitting in uh, our room in a a long riverboat travelling along the Rhine Gorge in Germany, looking out over the scenery, over some castles, um, and um, it is incredibly, incredibly peaceful. See, first holiday for seven years uh, that Lee and I have had, and um, we've been saving up for this for a long time, and it's great to get away. The weather is warm and sunny, uh, and if you're interested in looking at some of the footage of what we see outside of the the, the boat window, there's a special subscriber-only video episode where uh, you can hear the voices of Michaela teachers um, and watch the the Rhine Gorge go by at the same time. It goes for about 20 minutes. Now, a few days ago, Lee and I visited the Michaela School. The Michaela School has the reputation, as I said, as one of the strictest schools in the UK. It is not based in London. It's based in Wembley. Yes, near where the Wembley Stadium uh, exists. It's around about a 25-minute tube ride out of central London and about a 50-minute car drive, so most people would catch the tube. Um, it is not in a wealthy area um, at all, um, so um, the results that the Michaela School uh, is getting can't be attributed to wealthy parents or a wealthy socioeconomic group. Um So uh, the first thing we noticed was that uh, when we got off uh, the train, the school was uh, in like an office building, like a very large office building, multi-storey, about six six floors. Uh, It didn't look really like a school. Um, When you walked in, very high security, very high gates. Um, And one of the reasons for that is that there has been protests about the school, and that was a safety issue. when we go into the school, there's lots of great sayings from Nelson Mandela, from different historical figures that uh, are inspiring. All of the students have the same school uniform. The girls don't wear skirts, they wear pants. Although in the senior years, some of the girls do wear skirts. And the school uniforms are often decorated with badges, uh, certain badges that the students uh, earn for being in debating, for being in a certain sport, for being in the orchestra. Uh, so um, the students wear these very proudly. Um, the grades at the, at the Michaela School is the equivalent to Year 7 to 12 in, in Australian schools. Um, they call, call it sixth form. The very last one is sixth form. Um, what else we noticed? Well, it's extremely quiet. When you we went into the office, the office area is the same as most schools in Australia, except it's, it's a bit, there's, it's not as decorated and colourful. Uh, there are some paintings and drawings by the students, but it's not over the top, but it is very quiet. Everyone in the office area is quiet. And this is one of the policies of the school. You have to be quiet during school time, uh, lesson time. Even when we were being shown around the school by uh, the wonderful Nick and the terrific Noon, and I said I would call them by that name, so there's two, two students, one from Year 9, one from Year 10, um, we weren't allowed to speak in the corridors. We could only get to the end of the corridor and ask questions in a whisper so as not to disturb any of the, the classroom activities. When we went into classrooms, we walked in very quietly. We stood at the back. We observed the lessons, observed how the students related, and we couldn't speak at all when we were in the classroom. Then we had to leave uh, leave and ask questions after that. 
As far as playing fields, there were none. Uh, but the students do participate in inter-school sport, but they go to um, other sporting grounds in order to, to play that. The school has six 55-minute periods per day, um, except on a Friday where they only have five because they go and have sports somewhere else. Um, and the average homework is one to two hours, um, depending on the grade that you're in and the subjects that you're doing. And uh, both Nick and Noon said that that was probably consistent with most uh, secondary schools across the UK. Uh, the difference was that these students definitely had to do their homework. Otherwise, they got certain merits and demerits, which I'll go into a little bit later. Another thing that we noticed is that the, the teachers were extremely well-dressed. They wore suits, um, ties. They could take their coats off in the classroom. Um, women were very well-dressed, uh, as if they were going to perhaps a corporate office environment. So the, there was a, a definite difference. Uh, and the teachers, what the teachers said, went. Um, there was no umming and ahhing, no, no questioning the teachers. What the teachers said went. Um, and they backed that up with how they looked. And during this uh, episode, I'll just be adding little bits um, of detail to something that Catherine might have said in order to um, you know, let you know a little bit more, especially around the costs of going to the school and the behaviour policies. So I think right now we'll start off um, with our interview with Catherine Burblesing, the principal of the Michaela School in Wembley. What is a free school? The free schools in Britain came about in 2010. Um, the idea is to give uh, the school certain freedoms that perhaps ordinary community schools wouldn't have um, to be able to do things differently. But do you have to follow uh, the national curriculum, everything that's yeah. in that? So the freedoms that I refer to mean that you could not follow the national curriculum if you didn't want to. You could... Well, I suppose the idea is that you're meant to think differently. I have to say, there isn't a single free school that isn't following the national curriculum. <laughs> Everyone is, because they've got to do the same exams, I suppose. They have to do the same exams. Parents would be very concerned if you were not, yeah. you know, offering yeah. the national curriculum. Um, but we are a free school, and we have done things very differently, even though we're following the national curriculum. So the other thing that a free school is, like charter schools in America, is that it's a group of people who have set the school up as opposed to it's just a school yep. that's been set up by the government. People yep. have got together, so I got together with like-minded other teachers, and we decided we wanted this ethos, and we were moving forward with it. Whereas with other schools, it's a bit more of a mixed bag. You'll get some teachers who are traditional, some teachers who are progressive, some teachers are in between. All of our teachers here are traditional. <laughs> and that's because we went forward, we started with that ethos. And mm -hmm. we were very clear about it because it was a school that belonged to us. There's a, there's a sense of ownership over a free school or over a charter school that wouldn't necessarily exist with other schools. Yes, and, and there's a forward direction in that, in that school. This is what we want our students to be. That's right. At the end of it. Um, and it could be anything. So there's it could a free be. school, yeah, right. uh, uh, you know, in the Midlands where we've got, uh, they, you know, um, sheep and and cows meet you and pigs meet you when you when you get out of the car in the car park. You know, yeah. it's a completely different philosophy to our philosophy, yeah. but it's very much got a particular ethos and a particular philosophy. And it's up to that school to to create. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, in, in Australia at the moment, we have a national curriculum which goes from K to twelve. And the national, it's fairly new, uh, but the national curriculum has a lot of ideology, a lot of politics in it. Um, and an example is that um, Captain Arthur Phillip, um, who was settled Australia, came out with the first fleet, is only mentioned once uh, in the entire curriculum. Mm. And Australia Day is called Invasion Day. Now, in th is the national curriculum in, in the UK, do you... Are you confronted with that sort of idealistic um, yeah, philosophies? Um, and how, if you are, how do you get, a, get over it? So, yes, uh, 
you all have the issue of white guilt around what happened to the Aborigines. Uh, we have white guilt with regard to the British Empire, uh, slavery and colonialism. Um, so the same way in which uh, things, I imagine, have altered in Australia, and what I've heard from Australian teachers, I was there in October and met quite a number of them. Um, uh, you know, I, I remember... <laughs> I went to the zoo while I was there in Sydney and uh, before the bird show, they, uh, I forget what it's called. A welcome to country. Welcome to country. country. That's it. Yeah. They, they said this thing and I was thinking, what is this? You know, it was a bit odd. And then when I told some people later on um, about it, they were saying there was a welcome to country in front of the bird show before the bird show. And I was saying, yes, Why not what the bear show? <laughs> well, presumably it was, in, it was before all shows, you know, oh, right. Oh. this is just a normal thing. So in fact, I heard it twice at the zoo bird show and some other show penguins or something. I can't remember, but anyway, yeah. it, you know, it, it's a standard thing. Yeah. And so, and the thing that the Australians who I was speaking to were shocked by was that this is even in the zoo. You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, that for anything, you've got this welcome to country sort of explanation and and then and a way of sort of saying we're sorry, we're sorry for who we are kind of thing. Um, yeah. And yeah. that uh, that reminds me in many ways of what happens here in Britain with regard to the way in which we teach our history uh, nowadays. So five, even as little as five or six years ago, I do not think things had moved as much as they have now. Um, a history um, conference that one of my teachers went to recently. Uh, the first lecture on the day was deconstructing whiteness in the history curriculum. Oh dear! Right. So five years ago, that wouldn't have that wouldn't have existed, and it's since George Floyd. So yes. what is so fascinating about George Floyd, God rest his soul, um, is that uh, he. He has become this sort of uh, poster for any group that is oppressed. So he's gay, or he's Aboriginal, or he's... Transgender. Whatever it is, exactly. Whatever the issue is, he's yeah. representative of that group. And it means that since George Floyd, a lot has changed. Um, and it is interesting because... On the one hand, the people who are doing the changes say, we must recognize the terrible racism in society. We need to do something about it. Therefore, we need to change the curriculum. We need to deconstruct whiteness. Uh, we need to uh, take whiteness out of the history curriculum. That's their goal. But at the same time, they deny that they're doing this. So they say, there's no such thing as woke you're wrong to talk about wokeism. Or culture wars. Uh, oh, there's no culture There's no wars. culture war, exactly. And I, the thing is, is that, look, I'm quite happy for, with the people who say, this is what needs to happen, and we can have that discussion. Should we be taking whiteness out of history or not? Let's have that discussion. But don't simultaneously argue for taking whiteness out of history and then say you're not doing it <laughs> like that that's the thing that is so frustrating about this conversation yeah. because there is definitely a culture war um and there are definitely two sides there's one side that says we're quite traditional we'd like things to remain as they are and there's the other side that says oh my goodness that way is really racist and oppressive to various groups and we need to change things yeah. and maybe they're right but at least admit that that's the position that you've got yeah yeah well yeah. it's um I was a lecturer at university for a while, and well, a long time, but just resigned from Macquarie University because I could not stand it anymore. Right, so what kinds of things... Denial of science. Right, go on. The what denial of the double X chromosome. Oh, I see. I see women, I see. there's no such thing as women. Mm, 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 mm. There's just... Women can be men. Right. And it's... The university system is bowing down to that. Yes, yes. All of that disbelief in biology which has been uh, tried and tested and proven true mm. yes well you know these discussions as i say the thing that m upsets me most is the business of just um r refusing to recognize that things have changed massively for yeah. the school curriculum in the last 10 years mm. in particular in the last five years yeah. uh and 
we should at least have the conversation about whether or not we should be making. We should changes. be doing it or not. Yes, you know, we should be yeah. not pretending that we're yeah. not doing it, yeah. and that it all happens by stealth. Acknowledge that it's actually happening. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, for sure. Lee, you've got a couple. Um, just, um, just wondering, as far as the commute goes with the students, do they? Is it like a spread out range of students that have to come travel to the Michaela School for very far, or no. is it around the same? No, geographic? they tend to live around here. Although in London, it's very normal to get on a bus to go home. I mean, that would be the case in yeah. any school. Yeah. But um, but no, they're 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 close by. Right. I mean, in fact, the the admissions policies for schools are such that they would definitely need to live within a five mile radius. Ah, right. So there's no no one can travel from far because they wouldn't have a place at the school. Right. right. Okay. Uh, government funding for the school mm-hmm. is it the same as for a public? Uh, you know, state run. Yeah, school? that's a good question. I should have said that with regard to free schools, which is that. Um, if you're a free school, the funding comes directly to the school instead of going to the council first. But, I mean, in the end, the council would just pass on the funding to the school, so it sort of ends up being the same, but yeah. the funding does come directly to it. And it's the same amount? Yes. Right. Yes, I mean, I, I don't know about the arrangements that the other schools might have with regard to uh, the council. It used to be once upon a time that the council would keep some of that money and then provide you with certain services. Um, But I have to say that the vast majority of secondary schools in Britain are now either academies or free schools. And academies are exactly the same as free schools. The money will go directly to them. So... To be used as they wish? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so we have a lot of freedom here. This is for all schools, like academies, free schools, uh, normal schools, a- any kind of school. Y- you know, the, the, the school advertises for their staff, uh, appoints their staff. They can move their staff on if necessary. Um, the, that is all up to the school. I know in America, for instance, it, that doesn't happen. You are, are often just given your staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and to move somebody on is impossible in America. Mm. Whereas mm. here, it, it's it's much more straightforward. Right, mm. and gives you a lot more freedom. Yes, yeah, indeed. That's great. Um, have you found that any of the students that have graduated from here are so passionate about the teaching systems that they want to actually go to teacher school, become a teacher, and come back here? Well, we've only had... So, like, our first cohort uh, finished school in 2021 mm-hmm. okay. so it hasn't been that long, long. Right. but it is funny because there is one girl who went off to do law this is last year she went off so she's only just started at university but she was saying she came back to visit the other day and she said she wants to become a primary teacher she's not doing because she's doing law right she would have to do that subject at university in order to teach it at secondary school so her only option now would be to do primary Now, if you look into this funding a little bit deeper, how much does it cost parents to send their child to the Michaela School? Well, it doesn't cost anything, but there is a, a fee for lunch each day. So it is £2.50 for lunch, which is the equivalent of $4.80 per day for lunch because students aren't allowed to bring their own food and drink. What is the allocation per student from the UK government? Well, the allocation to every student, whether they go to a public or a private school, um, an academy school, free school, um, is about £7,500 per year, which turns out to be about $14,100 per year that every student gets. Now, that doesn't matter what school you go to, that's what the government gives. Now, uh, what happens to this money? How does that money become allocated? Well, it's allocated either directly to the school or via the local council, and then the council gives that money to the school. So it'll be, if a school's got 100 kids in it, they'll give 100 lots of $14,000 or £7,500. So the council looks after that, or it can go straight to the school. So, in a case like Michaela School, with 700 pupils, um, they would get about around about $9.8 million Australian um, for their 700 pupils. Now, they have 73 staff. So about half of that amount goes to wages. Half of that goes to wages for teachers and for auxiliary staff. 
So the rest is spent on rental and electricity and different things for the school. So it is doable. And if it's doable in London with the high cost of living, it's certainly doable in Australia. Now back to the interview with Catherine Burblesing. Now, student behaviour around the world has, uh, well, standards of student behaviour has crashed in the last uh, five years, five to ten years. Australia now, out of 77, is ranked number 72nd. Yes. Uh, as far as classroom climate yes. and, and student safety goes. Yes. Uh, why do you think that this has occurred on an international level? Yeah, well, for you, <laughs> Australians, um, the reason why that happened is because you all decided to follow Finland. So Finland, in the early 2000s, uh, was doing really well in terms of PISA results. They were at the top. And everyone said, wow, look at Finland. Um, we've got to copy what Finland does. Now, Finland uh, benefited greatly from their very traditional education system, and their teachers all have MAs and are really respected and so they they were doing really well. They, they had the best of all worlds. They had really qualified, intelligent teachers, and they had um, a traditional uh, education system. And then they decided, actually, what we need to do is become more progressive. And they became very progressive. So when people were looking at Finland, this is 2005, 7, 9, 11, and so on, uh, when they were looking at Finland, they were looking at a progressive curriculum and people were assuming that the progressive curriculum was the reason why they had such great results. Now, you as an ex-teacher will know that it takes years uh. before you see the impact of a curriculum or anything. You know, it, it takes years to turn around a failing school, for instance, uh. and, um, you know, really turn it around. You can make a difference in six months, but to really, really turn it around, it takes you about three or four years. So... Um, I kept saying at the time, people said, let's copy Finland, let's copy Finland. And I was saying, no, do not copy Finland. They've only got those results because of what was happening in 1999. Exactly. Uh, nobody was listening. Australia, well, I never told Australia, so I can't say they didn't listen. But the fact is, they went, you know, hook, line and sinker after uh, uh, Finland. Um, Finland is, is now, I've been predicting it for decades, they are now, they've dropped massively in the PISA results, despite having all their teachers with MAs. Uh, the fact is their progressive ways have destroyed their educational achievements. Um, and unfortunately, Australia's gone down that same road. Yes, we have. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and as you know, the behaviour is so poor in Australia. I mean, the behaviour is also poor in, in here and in America and so on. Um, and I do think, I think you're right, it's interesting you say in the last five years, I do think things have deteriorated massively since George Floyd. Um, okay. and that, but that took place in the first year of COVID. Yes. So it was, it was treated as something major to, to get away from this other big issue, which was COVID. Yes. I doubt whether it would have been treated so largely if we didn't have COVID. You mean people wouldn't have taken so much notice yeah. of uh, yeah. George Floyd's death? Yeah. Yes, I agree. I think people were at home. It was the perfect storm, wasn't yeah, it? And then yeah. they came out and protested and so on. And it is what it is. But I used to say in 2020 how, uh, in fact, our book, The Power of Culture, uh, which is worth, you know, your teachers getting a copy and reading. It's written by the teachers here at Michaela and it explains the school and what we do and so on. And in my introduction, I actually write about how since 2010, the beginning of free schools, the change of the curriculum in Britain happened in 2010, uh, made it more traditional, more behavior systems became more traditional, everything moved towards tradition between 2010 and 2015. We had an education secretary called Michael Gove, and he made those changes, and things really did change for the better. And in 2020, when I wrote that introduction... I was very positive saying how it's been the first decade of the revolution and I'm so pleased to be part of it and how exciting it was. Uh, later on that year, of course, the George Floyd situation happened, uh, the uh, COVID happened, etc. And um, I think things have gone really downhill since then, both culturally and, uh, well, culturally in terms of uh, sort of general values but also culturally within schools with regard to behaviour mm -hmm. and curriculum, etc. Mm -hmm. And um, people just sort of say, 
you know, I, I have noticed that they've been talking more about behavior more recently, and I think that's because things are so bad now that they are actually kind of admitting that there is a behavior problem. Um, one of the things that was very refreshing about visiting Australia is that all of you are very honest about the behavior problem in Australia. Um, in this country, people are less honest. And when I say less honest, I always think teachers are made to feel as if it's their fault when children misbehave. And so because they are made to feel like it's their fault, they don't like to admit that they have a problem with behavior because it means that there's something wrong with you as a teacher. And I always think of the psychology of abuse uh, with a child who's being abused. They don't tell that their father, you know, the little girl doesn't say that her father is abusing her because she feels as if it's her fault. That's the psychology of abuse. And I actually think that many teachers are suffering from that mm. because they feel it's their fault. They can't come out and say it. So for ever since I've been in this career, uh, far fewer teachers are willing to come forward and say that there is a problem with behavior because they think somehow it's their fault. But it's even worse now since George Floyd because I actually think people, people think to themselves, well, I must be racist then. What's worse since 2020 is that there's a real sense of I'm a really bad person. Yeah. I'm racist. I'm a white supremacist. I'm evil. And, and what's so terrible about it is that the stuff that's going to help the very kids that they want to help kids who come from challenging backgrounds, kids who are Aboriginal, who are black from the inner city, kids who um, don't have a father at home, all these kinds of kids who are more vulnerable, they're the ones who suffer the most when we don't have a traditional curriculum and when we don't have a traditional way of dealing with behavior. And, uh, and so it's really sad because actually, because we feel so awkward dealing with the situation and we feel guilty about it, and we don't know what to do, in the end, our reactions actually make things worse. Marking the Roll is supported entirely through subscribers and donors. We are the only podcast for teachers in Australia that confronts the difficult topics in education, topics others won't touch. Your subscription will ensure we can keep looking at the big issues. The cost of $35 per year gives you two subscriber-only podcasts, a Marking the Roll coffee cup and the option to ask questions of our guests. Just go to Substack and search for Marking the Roll. The link is also on the episode notes wherever you get your podcasts. Now, we did ask Catherine about uh, mental health of, of students and services that were available, for example, counselling. The question didn't come out that well in the initial uh, recordings, so um, we asked here, and this is what Catherine had to say. Well, the most important thing I'd say is how you preempt these things in the first place. So if, for instance, children are on social media all of the time, they're going to have mental health problems. There's no question. Yeah. The girls are going to want to make themselves look older and sexier, and the boys are going to get themselves involved in gangs and all kinds of things. Uh, pedophiles are going to be chasing your children. I mean, we've had issues with that. Like, it's, it, it, it's, it's absolutely uh, terrifying what children come across online, mm -hmm. but parents don't realize that, and they allow them on. So one of the big things we push is don't give your child a phone. Do not allow them unsupervised access to the internet. And guess what? They're much happier when yeah. you do that. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, that's the new research. I think it was last week it came out that, mm. that social media really adds to the unhappiness quotient of, 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 of students. So. Well, well, and uh, Jonathan Haidt, the American sociologist, He's fantastic. He's written a book called The Righteous Mind, which is really good. But he's also written a book called The, Cod the Coddling of the American Mind. And he does lots on data demonstrating how mental health issues have risen exponentially since the time when children were able to get access to the Internet without supervision and get access to, to, to social media like um, Snapchat, Instagram and so on. Those things didn't exist before... I think it's about 2014 or so. Yeah. That's so right. kids who were, you know, our kids now who are 11 and 12, they've always existed in that world. The mm -hmm. older kids who are 17, 18, it was introduced to them along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you've been brought up from the age of two, three with that whole world, um, it really messes with your mental health yeah. and with your, you know, purpose in life, what, what, you know, doing your homework, getting up on time, all of this sort of thing. Yeah. Parents just don't realize how dangerous that no. world is. Yeah.
one of the problems in Australia is that the, the words right and wrong have virtually ble- been obliterated from schools. Mm. The students can't be wrong and they can't... Well, like, they can be right, but they can't be wrong. Um, are the words right and wrong used at the McKenna School? Oh, of course. So, I mean, if I just tell your audience, I mean, we are a very traditional school. So our whole uh, sense is about giving them moral purpose, explaining the difference between right and wrong, mm-hmm. um, it, it, teaching them gratitude and kindness and self-sacrifice, uh, putting others before yourself, um, behaving like decent human beings. Mm-hmm. So I was telling off your 11 this morning because uh, they'd been silly on Saturday when they had a revision session with their teachers for an exam that was happening today. And I was saying, why? Your teachers are coming in. They're not being paid for this. They're coming in for you, and this is how you treat them. And I was saying, if you step out of line, any one of you steps out of line again, I'm sending you home on study leave, and you won't have access to these revision sessions. And, um, and then I said, and the thing is, is that what will be really bad about that isn't just the fact that you're going to miss out on the revision sessions, so you won't do as well in terms of your GCSE grades. But the main reason why it's going to be really bad is because it'll mean that you don't have any respect for your teachers and that you're the type of person who is, is not decent. You're the type of person who isn't kind and who isn't grateful. And I said, and we've spent five years teaching you about gratitude and kindness. The two things that we always say to you, work hard, be kind. Well, if, if you mess up now, that means we've wasted five years on you. Mm-hmm. Now, and the point is, is that I'm ending on a moral note, you know, and that all my assemblies are, are, are ending on a moral note. Um... I think too often uh, in assemblies, uh, you can find people saying things like, you need to get good GCSE grades because you want to get a good job, right? You should work hard because that means you're going to be really rich later and own a nice car. That is not something that we talk about, ever. We always talk about the kind of person you're going to be and the kind of person you are and living a life that's worth living. Um, and that, that's not about making money. That's not about having power. That's about being a certain kind a of certain human being. Sort of person. Mm. Yeah. Which, which really leads me to the next thing. In Australia, uh, it, there's been a big push towards trauma-informed teaching. Now, if a person uh, has a trauma background, childhood trauma background, um, does that mean they shouldn't be held accountable for the things that they do? No. I don't think that, because if you do that, that means that child will never be able to grow up and have a, a, an ordinary life. So they should be able to follow the same rules and expectations of every, as everyone else. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And they are able to. Of course they are. Yeah. The thing is, is that if you allow them not to, then they will get away. I mean, they're, they're, wherever you, if you hold your standards really high, and I'm holding my hand up here, they'll meet you up there. And if you hold your standards down here, and I've moved my hand down now, seeing as we're on audio, <laughs> the, the children will meet you there. Whether they are, whatever their background is, children will always meet you at whatever standards you set for them. And the fact is that, um, yeah, you're just letting those kids down even more when you yeah. lower your standards for them. So the low expectation really doesn't do them any favours whatsoever. No. No. No, it does them great harm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in Australia at the moment, uh, teachers are being taught to be kind and to be understanding and to, you know, just just treat them differently and go into this trauma-informed way. Of, and I think there is merit in that. I mean, we, we've had trauma childhoods, but, um, it, but I think it's gone a little bit too far at the moment. Look, the fact is you don't have to be mean to them to hold them to high standards. You just need to hold them to high standards. They know... If I don't do my homework, I'm going to get a detention. So you give them a detention. You don't have to snarl at them. (laughs) You just give them a detention, and then they know it. And then they think, okay, next time I don't want a detention, so I'll do my homework next time. And just on that uh, behaviour stuff, um, we spoke to both Noon and Nick, uh, the two students who showed us around the school, and we were able to talk to them. Um, And... merits and demerits are fairly important in the classroom if you get two demerits you get 30 minutes detention after school there's there's no getting out of it that's it now one demerit you don't but the second one you do but students also get merits so they get positive reinforcement as well um and after so many merits, they get they get their name called out in in the assembly and things like that. So, um, 
there is a merit taker and a demerit taker or a merit taker in, in every room. Uh, it may be the teacher. It may be another student who's assigned that job of taking merits. Um, so half an hour of detention. I know in most Australian states now you can't do detention. Well, detention is very much used at the Michaela School. There's no talking in the classroom. That's something you might get a demerit for, uh, for not concentrating or not looking at the teacher. Um, you may get a demerit for that. So it is, in that sense, very strict. And this is what uh, parents, uh, some parents, the progressive style, have complained about, that it is um, inhibiting the students. But it works very, very well at the Michaela Another way uh, you'll get a demerit is uh, not doing your homework. So if, if um, you miss out on your homework, you'll get a demerit twice, you'll be on detention. Uh, and, and as I said before, I think uh, homework is one to two hours. In Interestingly enough, when we asked about the detentions, uh, it, it seemed that there's not a lot of students at the school who get these detentions and get the demerits. Um, well, because uh, the student knows that if they don't do their homework or if they talk, they're going to get them and getting them is not comfortable. So yes, it is a stricter behaviour policy, far stricter than we have in Australia, but it works. Allowing children who come from more challenging backgrounds off, as it were, just allows those kids to fail. You are not helping those children. What you're doing in that moment is you're helping yourself feel better about the fact that that child has a difficult background. And because you feel bad about it, in order to make yourself feel better about it, you then allow them off the detention or off the, whatever the punishment might be. That's really about you. It's not about the child, because in the end, you are harming the child greatly. Have you found that um, other schools want to adopt your teaching methods mm. and not necessarily, like, teach here, but bring it to their school so that their school improves? We get 800 visitors a year yeah. wow. from all over the country, some from Australia, some from America, Germany, all over the place. Wow. Uh, people write to me from Argentina and say, oh, I'm, I read your tweets and I'm introducing your ideas in my classroom. Sometimes it's just individual teachers yeah. in their classroom. Sometimes it's heads or deputies who want to do it whole school. There are even schools that call themselves as a school in the Midlands that call themselves the Michaela of the Midlands, for instance. Oh, wow. You know, like, I mean, obviously they have another name, but as a yeah. kind of, uh, as a bit of a joke, they just say it's the Michaela yeah, of the yeah, Midlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, oh, there's loads of them. I've, I realized a while ago that the establishment will never be interested in making big changes. But ordinary teachers are. Hmm. Ordinary teachers will come along and question and think about it, which is why we get hundreds of visitors every year, because they're coming and going, oh, right, yeah, let me take this idea, let me take that idea. And then they make a difference in their classrooms. Yeah. Marking the Roll is supported entirely by subscribers and donors. It is a volunteer-run podcast and not even the host is paid. Subscription helps with transcript costs, podcast fees, and even the artificial intelligence voices like me used for teacher comments and ads like this. To support the podcast, please go to Substack, search for Marking the Roll and subscribe, upgrade or donate. Your contribution really helps. Thanks for listening. A couple of quick uh, questions from listeners. Yes. Um, someone said... Um, have asked me to ask you if a branch of the Michaela School could open in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. Um, yeah. You never know. What, you know, I was born in New Zealand, so you never know what the future will bring. <laughs> um, another one from a, from a listener. Uh, in Australia, we have to do mandatory professional development mm -hmm. in, in things such as diversity mm -hmm. training. Do you have to do, do your teachers at the Michaela School have to do that? No, there's mandatory training that we have to do from the government says uh, prevent, for instance, which is uh, the terrorism stuff. Uh, there's safeguarding, obviously, but um, that that's all that's coming from government, as it were. Uh, in many schools, however, there will be mandatory training that will yep. be up to that school, up to the academy chain that you might be part of.
There may be mandatory training in any number of different schools because that, that school has decided that is mandatory training. Oh, yes, it's from yeah. them. But not exactly. Yeah. But here, no, no. Mandatory yeah. training here is stuff like, I don't know, how to man detention. <laughs> Did you have any more? Um, oh, just a, a, a light one. Um, you guys have formals and graduations and stuff like that, celebrations mm-hmm. at the end of, end of things like that, yeah. Yeah, look, we're a normal school in that sense. Yeah, yeah. We have a reward event at the end of every half term. Yeah. Friday this week, they're going to be eating cookies and popcorn and watching a film with their form group. Uh, at the end of the term, there's a prize presentation where they come up and they shake my hand and they get given badges and all sorts. Uh, when the year 11s finish their GCSE exams, they're all going to sign shirts and there'll be balloons and so on. And they'll all have a nice time outside. We'll have their year 11 prom. There'll be a year 13 prom. Again, the year 13s, when uh, they finish, it'll be a similar sort of thing. Uh, last Friday, they all went on trips to the Natural History Museum and various places. Uh, a few Fridays before that, they were going to Waterstones, bookshop on a trip. I mean... We're a normal school. You know, yeah. They have sport yeah. after school. They they have um, you know matches with some of the local schools. Um, yeah, we have Interform Sports Week, which will happen next ha- half term, where they're going to do tug of war and stuff like that. Like we're a normal school. It's just that we have high standards of behaviour. That's and, all. And what about the results? Yeah. So last year we got the highest Progress Eight in the country, which means that Progress Eight is the score that you're given for the progress that is made when the child enters at 11 years old and then leaves at age 16 with their GCSE grades. And they track that progress for each child. And then there's an average that's given to you. Uh, and we got the highest in the country um, at, by far, you know, like, so <clears throat> we're obviously doing something right. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I'm most proud of, honestly, is not the results. It's the children, who they are as people. Yeah. 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 You know, that moral core that I was talking about, it's so important to who yeah. we are. Uh, when visitors come, they always comment on how kind and nice the children are, how friendly and how keen they are in lessons. You'll have seen the lessons, all the hands going up. They're all so engaged. Mm. You know, you don't really see that. Have you ever had any pushback from teacher unions or (sighs) activist groups? Uh, yes. I mean, they protested outside when we were first opening with, and when we were trying to get the school off the ground, all of our parents' evenings were always infiltrated by the union people. Uh, they would hold posters up, uh, with insults to, uh, you know, targeted at me. They would shout names at me. They, when we first opened, they would protest outside and they would hand leaflets to the kids saying their lives were in danger in this building. Um, I mean, uh, horrible stuff. Uh, They don't do that anymore. Um, I have to say the unions have left us alone for years because it's quite difficult to argue against us when we... The results. Well, we've got the results. So while we didn't have the results, we were quite vulnerable, so they used to come at us. But um, I have to say they've left us alone. And that's to their credit because... Uh, there are still all kinds of uh, people on social media and so on who still go on about how much they hate us and want us mm. closed mm. and so on. Mm. And which is, I mean, I I want to say to them, okay, so you, you say you want to help inner city kids. You're not actually doing anything yourself to help these inner city kids. We are doing a marvelous job with these inner city kids. Why do you hate us, right? Mm. In fact, why are you not asking us what we do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, finding out more about it. Exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And the last question, Catherine. Australian teachers have had a really hard time over the last few years, as is as has most teachers, but that hard time is continuing and it's getting tougher for them. What would your message be to Australian teachers having a hard time? Yeah, I mean, look, the thing is, uh, teaching isn't easy. None of us went into teaching because we thought it was going to be an easy ride and we certainly didn't think we were going to get rich. Um, we went to teaching because we believe in something bigger. We believe in a better world. And so you've just got to believe in that as a teacher. Connect with your kids. Know what you're doing. Always be questioning what your, you know, your methods and thinking, how can I get better? Because every day we can always get better the next day. And read lots. You know, read Edie Hirsch. Read Dan Willingham. Read Daisy Christodoulou. Read our book, The Power of Culture. 
really question all the the the, the, the the supposed wisdom that is being given to you by the teacher training colleges and by various people and find the right way for you with your kids and make it work. Because the thing is, you can do it without the system behind you. You can do it without uh, the system uh, understanding what actually works. Um, and you can do it in your own classroom, you know. The fact is, is that management tend to never come and watch what you're doing anyway. Right? So yeah. ignore management. Ignore what they're telling you. Do what works, you know, because those kids are counting on you. And we've just got to find it in ourselves to keep fighting because, yeah. well, what else are you going to do? Thanks so much for talking to us, Catherine. Thank you for having me. It's great. Well, that was Catherine Burble Singh, the principal of Michaela School, and you can tell how passionate she is about the work that they do at Michaela. But what about the teachers? How do they feel? Well, if you are a subscriber to Marking the Role on Substack, you get a special subscribers only. That's for paid or, or, or complimentary subscribers. It's in the form of uh, a video where uh, you can hear the voices of some of the teachers from Michaela while you're watching the Rhine landscape drift by, which is what um, exactly we've been seeing as um, we edit and uh, add to this episode. So that's only for paid or complimentary subscribers um, to Marking the Roll. And to whet your appetite, here's um, just a couple of excerpts uh, of what the teachers have to say. So because of the rules and the strictness and being able to teach them, it gives me immense job satisfaction because the kids are learning and they're happy that they're learning and you're filling their brains with loads and loads of knowledge um, so they can apply themselves and they get things right, which is really, really nice. It's a joyous experience teaching here. Or maybe this one. Yeah, the kids are definitely not like robots. Uh, no, they definitely, like you can see that they've got they've got buckets of personality um and yeah i think actually before coming i thought that they might be just different kinds of kids you know um like the kids that go to mckill are just a bit different to the kids that go to other schools um and yeah that that's definitely not true <laughs> so if you want to listen to um the comments from four teachers um the courtesy of the Michaela school um, then become a subscriber, a paid subscriber to Marking the Role, and you can listen to all of those. So, in winding up, what were our perceptions of the Michaela School? Well, A, it does live up to the hype. B, yes, it it is strict, and the discipline is very deliberate, um, but also very fair. The students know exactly what they have to do to get the credits and they know what they have to do uh, in order to get demerits. Um, are the students happy? Most certainly. They seem to be uh, jumping out of their boots a lot of the time. Um, very quiet school uh, and obviously very passionate staff. Not just Catherine Burblesing, but all of the staff are extremely passionate. Um, we didn't speak to a lot of the students, but the students that we spoke to um, were uh, were happy or were um, great at expressing themselves. Um, and they looked you straight in the eye when um, you spoke to them, which is very unusual these days. Uh, they also mentioned that they stand up for people on the train. I thought that was a real bonus being an older person. Now, when I said that it was a quiet school, it's not always quiet. And sometimes in the classroom, the, the students all join together to either sing a little song or to um, uh, chant something uh, in unison. Uh, and in that way, the teacher has to be a bit of a performer. So teaching at the Michaela School wouldn't suit everyone. Um, I'm not sure whether today's current uh, teacher education courses even teach um, teaches uh, how to be a bit of a performer and, and, and enjoy things. But this is a French teacher 
um, getting his class to, to chant as a brain break. So uh, someone has answered a question correctly in French. Uh, he then gives them a brain break by doing something completely different and physically active. So they chant uh, in threes and they roll their hands. They roll their, their, their arms around um, and they all sing in unison and it's a brain break. And then he gets back to the learning, which is, uh, well, neuroscientifically, the best way to learn. I watch, I watch. Je regarde, they watch, cut. You look out. You look out. Good as gold, let me see your fingers roll. The three. Three, six, nine, twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty-one, twenty-four, twenty-seven, thirty. Oh, yeah. And now you can hear from that that even the, the brain break is regulated. Um, the students sing in unison and they do the same actions together. So, um, yes, even that enjoyment part of it is regulated, uh, is controlled, but the kids really love it. Also, when someone comes to visit, they will um, thank them for coming to, to, to visit. Um, but even that is controlled. So someone stands up, makes the announcement, and all the students in the canteen, when they're having their lunch, um, We'll do two claps. Here's an example. To the guests on our table, Mr. Mir, for coming all the way from East London to visit our school, Michaela. So two claps on two. One, two. One, two. And as you hear, even that vote of thanks with the claps are regulated. Uh, but the students love it. Uh, is this only restricted to primary school? No, this is year six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve do this. Um, and that is the Michaela way. That's the way it's done. So the students know exactly what to do um, for what occasion, uh, and they do it, and that makes them happy. They're, they, they know their boundaries. They know what works. They know what doesn't work. They haven't got to be constantly trying to write the book. It's all very prescribed, and the students are very, very happy. Anyway, uh, Marking the Roll is run by volunteers. I'm a volunteer. Um, and if you feel like um, giving a few bucks, it's $35 per year to subscribe and you get all of the podcasts, the written work, and also the subscriber-only um, content as well. Now, included in that subscriber-only content, the paid subscriber content, will be the voices of the Michaela teachers. Uh, it'll be in video format, this little episode, only available on Substack, not on any other streaming platform. Um, and uh, it will be accompanied by uh, images of Lee and my uh, holiday we're having, first holiday in seven years, um, and we'll have images, uh, not of us, but uh, of the scenery that we're seeing outside our riverboat as we travel along the Rhine. My name's Phil Dye. I'll see you again soon.